All right, welcome to episode 18. Going to start with the news. Uh, Sonar Framework was just released. It is basically uh, kind of like a single purpose beef hook that um, it's basically a web page when people come and visit, it will internally port scan their network using JavaScript and report back results. So pretty cool. Again, just like a beef hook, except for focus specifically on um, internal port scanning. So that's pretty cool. Um, Next story, Schneider Electric SCADA issues were revealed at DEF CON, evidently have not been fixed. Uh, it was actually a number of uh, client-side JavaScript issues where you can basically include URLs, um, supposedly not fixed yet. So big uh, Ashley M- Madison hack news. Thing that got me thinking about this, I mean, I think everyone's familiar with the story. Tons of data was released, basically the, the entire list of users that they use the service and a bunch of famous people and, you know, religious people and uh, politicians and stuff. So there's lots of embarrassment there. But the thing I find interesting about the story is how it's going to open up a world of extortion. Um, I, I think that this type of breach leads directly to a certain type of hack that is very, um, I, I would say practical or focused, right? Instead of, you know, going after sort of an open target, you know, and trying to hack something and find out what's there, you look for opportunities for embarrassment or extortion, and you know you leverage those things. So that's what I find uh, really interesting. Basically, the, uh, the there's something else related to that, right? You also have things like um, the stock attack. So there was a, a company that was just hacking uh, PR firms and extracting the PR releases that were getting ready to come out. And that would be things like, oh, we're laying off tons of people or we're about to acquire this company, like lots of mergers and acquisition stuff. And if you can get those PR releases before they go out, they're obviously going to affect stock prices in a lot of cases. So they would just quietly steal those and then do stock manipulations. So they're not exfiltrating tons of data. They're not you know, trying to hack other systems. They're not building botnets. They're doing a very focused business thing with that content, which I find to be fascinating. Um, by the way, we added the Ashley Madison passwords to the Seclist project. So if you haven't seen that, can go pull those passwords from there. It's all anonymized, no users or anything like that. Um, Uber is quadrupling their security staff in 2015, evidently scaling up, anticipating hacks. Not sure what the reason is for, but uh, really interesting nonetheless. Uh, Been a ton of Android vulnerabilities and and pretty bad ones as well uh, recently. Uh, I think listeners will probably know that I'm pretty pro Apple or at least iOS. Uh, as it compares to Android, but um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty strong lately. Uh, the strongest one being the uh, the disabling and or takeover of a phone via text message, which is just ludicrous. But um, definitely, if you have Android, I, I would suggest getting on a relatively new hardware platform and keep your software updated at all times. 
and disable un, unneeded functionality as well. And don't root your phone. These are all really important things regardless of the platform, but especially important on Android. So a few ideas and sort of commentary. Um, I want to return to this business-based hacking concept. I just feel like there's a lot of focus being placed on a new type of business model around hacking, right? Think less about someone breaking into a company and they, you know, crack their knuckles and they're like, yeah, let's look around for some data that we can possibly steal. Like, do we see anything important? Like they're looking for a business model as opposed to people who already have a perfect business model and they're just executing it. They happen to be using hacking to do it. So, I mean, I've had a million of these really evil thoughts over the years. I mean, whenever I'm in like, uh, not San Francisco, uh, Washington, D.C., and I'm sitting in these really nice restaurants or bars, and I'm surrounded by lobbyists, and you just passively listen to any conversation and they're, they're talking about, oh, yeah, so-and-so company, and I, you know, I took him out, and I met his wife, and we did this, and we did that. And I think the merger is going to happen, and uh, I think this and that. And I'm like, does someone not have a microphone in here that can discern voices, can separate out the conversations, and like, you know, put them into, you know, discrete, um, almost like a a TCP conversation within Wireshark and like break out those separate conversations, you know, transcribe them. And now you have like this massive attack surface area based on information that people think is private, even though it's happening in the middle of the public at very high volume. It's insane. Um, another one is, you know, conferences where you have hotels full of people, you know, maybe of certain types, maybe it's full of church leaders, or churchgoers, and it's just like, whatever, 50 hotels or 10 hotels or two hotels, just stuffed full of these people. And you sniff the network for porn, you find the person and you're like, yeah, so you're evidently a church leader in whatever Wisconsin. And it looks like you like this really weird kind of porn. You know, um, how about you send me some money instead of me telling everyone about this? Like, these are the types of business models that I think are about to really, really pick up because I think they're likely to be extremely effective versus uh, other types of attacks. Um, let's see. Uh, wrote a piece about my problem with threat intelligence, um, which was, I, I thought I laid it out pretty well in, in the piece. It was a very short little essay. But uh, the bottom line is that Threat intelligence, I think, is pretty cool. It, it, it's basically the idea of, you know, you're, you're sniffing, you're listening, you're watching the activity of malicious actors, you've got honeypots out there, you're gathering all this intel about what the bad guys are really doing and how they might be targeting you, you know, maybe, and maybe you should do something slightly different based on that, right, in, in terms of how you remediate or something like that. And I'm thinking, well, that's amazing technology. Like if you are so far ahead of everyone, you know, if, if you're the proverbial, you know, NSA lockdown under bunker team and you want to know if someone is like burrowing to try and break into your super secure location, 
you know, and you're doing this on the internet or whatever, like, yeah, maybe into threat intelligence would work for that because you're already at 99.9 and you want to go to five nines. Now you need threat intelligence. But these people who are buying threat intelligence, not all, not all, some, I don't know, most, I would say 90, I don't know, way too many, 90%, 99%. They're buying threat intelligence. They haven't patched yet. They don't know where their assets are. They, they don't have an a- asset list. You tell them, hey, how many web apps do you have? I don't know. Like, how many internal apps do you have? I don't know. That's a different department. Like, they can't tell you anything about their environment, but they want the 0.001% adding on top of their amazing security posture. And the analogy I used was fix your hair first. Like, basically, if you're bleeding from a gunshot wound, don't worry about your hair. Like, don't, don't look for, you know, mousse and gel and all this kind of stuff that, that gets you that extra appearance. Like, you're about to die from a gunshot wound. You have unpatched vulns. They've been there for a year or two. Um, and if you look at the Verizon data, the DBIR report, um, it was 99%, 99.9% of all hacks took place using vulns that came out a year ago. Like, it's not like they're patched and they got in through an, uh, an O-Day. Like, that, that, that doesn't happen usually, right? It's all from complete mismanagement, complete negligence, uh, in a lot of cases, not, not all cases. But it's like, if, if you don't have these basics, don't be pursuing the advanced stuff. It's frustrating to me like to watch people grasp at these things uh, when all they need are like super basics let's start with excel and a list of things you have like that's that's amazing ninja security it it really is assuming it's filled in Um, all right so optimal playlist for getting work done so evidently, uh, some research was done on what's the best type of music to get uh, work done when you're at home or whatever, listen to headphones. Um, big consensus was on Baroque, which is actually on one of the first types of uh, classical music. So it was basically Baroque, then classical, then romantic periods of art and music and architecture. And Baroque was one of the first ones. So it's a very classical uh, apologies for that type of classical music. Music, but um, the other thing they said was no words. Having no words is usually a good thing because you don't want your brain processing lyrics and thinking about them. You want them your brain 100% focused on the task. Also mention medium volume and roughly 60 beats per minute. Right. So this is obviously not canon because this. Nothing like that really exists, but this might be a good thing to go by. Um, I would definitely have a Baroque playlist if you don't already have one. Um, I have a few, uh, plus some Buddhist chants I just added, which was kind of fun. Um, Ambient sound as two-factor authentication, which is pretty cool. Um, So I, I wrote an essay recently about the future of authentication, which I said is basically gonna be like continuous authentication. Basically, when you are sitting at your desk, the camera is watching your face. So that's authentication. 
the keyboard, it's making sure you're typing the way that you type, right? The say, say the weight in the chair, make sure it's you and not someone else. Um, so you can have all these different authentications happening constantly. Let's say like 10 different ones. And one of them could be ambient sound in the room. So in addition to those that I already mentioned, it's also got a microphone and it knows what your office sounds like. And it's sending a signature, like a, a hash, some sort, some sort of, you know, tokenized identifier of that, that authentication method to the server at all times and to anything you're interacting with at all times. And you will basically have different ratings of security for each of those factors and combinations of those factors. And then for each action that you want to take, it will also have a rating and then they will be matched to each other, right? So if you want to change your password, oh, that's going to up-level you. And now you need a smart card and, you know, rectal pressure scan and retina scan and whatever. It's going to, you know, 17-factor auth or whatever. But maybe 14 of those factors are passive that are already happening and you didn't even need any uh, to do anything. Uh, but you did need to enter your smart card. Or if you want to transfer money, it's a two-step process and it requires your smart card plus, you know, retina scan, handprint or whatever. But a lot of things like just moving around, browsing directories, doing other stuff, maybe it is multi-factor. Maybe it is, you know, uh, seven-factor, but maybe all seven of those are passive to the user and they've been sent 400 times since you sat down to work at three hours ago. So pretty cool stuff. I think the audio piece is definitely one, the facial recognition, you know, lots of different bio tests, right? Maybe the, um, maybe your smartwatch is sending data from your wrist, from you, who you are and its current location, which is also in the chair, also to the server, right? And again, it's hashed. It's not privacy issue, but it's like, yeah, this really is the person that we're expecting it to be based on heart rate and whatever. So I, I think that's a cool concept. Um, how standardization and insurance will change security. So I, I posted a blog. I don't think I want to go through all of it, but basically the argument I made in this essay was that, you know, security is in such an early state that we still have like magic. We still have people who aren't certified to do jobs they kind of, you know, get recommended by a person or, you know, maybe you have a CISSP, maybe you don't. Uh, maybe it doesn't really matter because CISSP doesn't make you good at your job. So it's so different from other industries. And this is what we forget when we're in InfoSec. You know, in other industries, you either have a certificate in, in what you need to be doing or you don't. Um, so it's like, you know, if you're a nurse and it's like, hey, my RN expired, they're like, all right, well, you just can't come to work anymore. I mean, that's it. You're fired. Like, you can't work here without an RN. Same if you're an electrician, if you're a building inspector, you're a civil, whatever, civil engineer. You must have credentials and they must stay up to date. Like, uh, if you're a nurse or a, you know, a paramedic or a fire, fireman or uh, whatever, doctor, I mean, you have to maintain these things, continuous education. And it's no joke. If they expire, they run out, you, you can't do that job anymore. So my point was that 
this is coming to InfoSec as well, right? It, that is going to come and what's going to bring it is insurance. Uh, weirdly enough and scarily enough, insurance will, you know, give people policies, will give companies policies, but they want to protect their investment. So they're going to require that, yeah, if you want a policy with us and you don't want to pay exorbitant fees or premiums, you need to have your staff, you know, completely covered by this credential, you know, and anyone who's doing log management must have this cert. And anyone who's doing firewall must have this cert. All your pen testers must have this cert. And it's going to be locked down. And when you have an audit, the audit is going to be seriously serious by a certified auditor. And they're going to go through everything, uh, you know, very carefully because it's all based on, you know, lowering the risk for the insurance company. So, What's fascinating about this is like it makes you want to throw up in your mouth when you're talking about how good it is because it will actually be good. But here's the good part, right, is you have someone in the company now who is massively incentivized to do the more secure thing. And right now, I mean, there are plenty of companies out there that, that do security well and they hire people who know what they're doing and, and they, you know, support them at the highest levels of management. But in a lot of companies, maybe even most, security is still, um, it's a thing that you have to have and you kind of just, the top people in the company just say, hey man, don't, don't get me in the newspaper, you know, make sure the auditors are happy and shut the hell up, like don't bother me. And they really just kind of disrespect it and don't uh, pay it that much attention. So who do you have that's advocating? You have the security people, obviously. They're going to the conferences. They know how bad it is. They can't sleep at night. But when they go to their management, they're like, hey, you know, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And management's like, I don't know. I just haven't seen it recently on CNN. It's never happened to us. I don't know whatever. And that's kind of where the conversation ends. But when it is a direct issue for money, when the premium is based on it, when even being able to get the insurance in the first place is in question because you're not secure enough to pass through these new types of auditors, suddenly you're going to have a very strong advocate um, in, in management, in the InfoSec group, and of course, in the insurance representative who's there doing the testing. Right. So I think outcomes will massively improve. Uh, what I talk about in the piece, though, is like it's kind of sad. Right. It, it, what it becomes is accounting. Accounting is a very mature profession. You must have a CPA. And, you know, you go to work and you fill out spreadsheets and the work gets done and you find the money and you can track it down to the penny. And it's all well and good and, and very clear and, and positive. But it's not super fun. Well, I mean, wouldn't be for me. And what what InfoSec has is magic. It, I mean, you've got you've got hacker movies. You got Mr. Robot. You've got Nmap and scanning and reverse engineering and like everything that all of us in InfoSec have liked. Uh, you know that I've liked for fifteen years got me into it. This is the the death of that kind of thing. Um, not complete death, because there will still be some unknowns and some hard things to do and stuff like that. But in general, 
you're moving away from Wild West. You're moving away from Dark Ages. You're moving away from magic and alchemy and moving towards accounting and, you know, skyscrapers and insurance. That's really what it is, right? You're moving towards building inspections, accounting, and insurance. And that just hurts my soul a lot. But at the same time, I do want the outcomes that will come with it. So that's what that piece was about. Uh, definitely go check it out um, if you're interested. Um, oh, heard about this cool tool. It's called Miller. The utility is MLR. And it's basically a Unix tool uh, that you can, you know, pipe with and everything. It's a Unix utility. But it's like said, awk, join, cut, and sort. But it's for um, name index data, like CSV. So instead of, you know, piping to awk, you know, print column three to get the content that you want out of CSV, you could say, get me... The, the data birth column from uh, a CSV. And it will go and find it for you and pull that data for you. So I thought that was super cool, uh, kind of an updated, you know, super little Unix utility. Um, would love for people to come and participate in the OWASP IoT project that myself and Craig Smith work on. So uh, Sasha Zjelar is going to be working on an IoT disposition project uh, which is basically how to end of life IoT projects um, products that you've already deployed but might have your sensitive data on them. Um, he's actually going to be doing a, a technical talk on this as well, um, talking about the different places you can find the data. Um, so definitely be looking out for that. Um, Digicert is, is possibly going to be working on a secure updates project, also within the IoT project umbrella. Um, and this is basically where you know, when we hit someone for making, you know, building an IoT product that doesn't do uh, updates well, you know, we always tell them, hey, man, this is, you know, not secure. You know, you don't have validation on each side that it's the correct person. Um, you know, your updates aren't using encryption. You know, there's no signatures. The server side is world writable, like all these different things. Their question is usually, okay, fine, what should I do? And we're like, I don't know, just, you know, do it the right way. And that is not the right answer for a security person to give, right? We really need to tell them what they should do instead. So um, what we're looking to do is build a secure updates project under the IoT umbrella under OWASP that says, hey, here's a way you can implement this as kind of as a framework on, on how to build keys, how to do encryption, what algorithms to use, how to handle signatures and all those different things. So, and we're looking to do that for more than just the update system. We wanna do that for all the different, you know, uh, authentication, session management, beaconing, like all, all the different types of areas. Uh, basically prescriptive guidance instead of just hand slapping. So if you have any interest in contributing that sort of thing, definitely reach out to me and uh, we can get you going there. So updates and announcements. Um, Vegas conferences, Def, Def Con and Black Hat a couple weeks back. I uh, did two talks, one on SecList at Black Hat Arsenal with uh, Jason Haddix 
and that was super fun. Uh, then uh, that was Wednesday, and then on Saturday we did uh, our own separate talks. I did one on um, IoT attack surface areas, where we basically migrated the IoT top ten project over to the IoT attack surface areas. So it's sixteen different um, surface areas that all IoT systems should have. Um, well, or probably have, and, and that should be tested if you're doing an assessment. So whether it's a toothbrush or an airplane or a giant skater network, whatever it is, um, all those surface areas probably exist and probably need to be uh, checked. So the idea is what is a use, universal list of surface areas that need to be checked in all cases? So that's what I presented on. Also released a tool called uh, Caparser for like cap, like PCAP parser. And um, that one basically is a tool that will parse PCAPs, break it into the various pieces for each host that it's talking to, that your IoT system is talking to. And then it will look for sensitive data inside of that PCAP, um, each individual one. So it'll tell you, hey, you know, you're talking to this one, which is, you know, a bad reputation. It's not part of your known good list and you're sending sensitive data, which if you see it in the content, that means it's really bad because you shouldn't see clear text data inside of PCAP, means you're not using encryption. So pretty cool tool for doing IoT assessments. Um, and that was released during that talk. And then Jason did his uh, web methodology talk, which was uh, amazing. Definitely need to check that out. Um, so yeah, that was that. Um, if you're into IoT, also be sure to check out Craig Smith's podcast on IoT Weekly. And uh, and um, I believe it's iotweekly.com is the website. But you can uh, just look at Craig Smith on iTunes and you'll, you'll see the IoT podcast. Also, Bruce Sinclair's uh, IoT podcast is uh, really cool. I'm about to appear on that one, I think, in a couple weeks. Um, and I was just on Paul Asadorian's Security Weekly podcast, also talking about IoT security. Um, that was super fun. Also, Kali Linux 2.0 is out, a new kernel. It's based on Debian. It's a rolling release, so you just do you know fluid updates instead of having to get new versions. Uh, definitely go get that. And I think that's it for episode 18. I will see you next time. Take care.